So uh, tonight, uh, one thing I want us to wrap up with, um, you, have, uh, you have this upgraded handout, and you'll notice on one side, it has 10 questions taken from verses 34, 35, and 36. So really only six of the eight verses are covered here, but there are 10 questions lifted out of the Bible that deal with those particular verses. So here's what I'd like you to do for the next 10 minutes. Break up into groups of three or four, groups of three or four. Each person in the group take two or three questions so that they all get covered in your group. So that means that whoever is the most outgoing and extrovert of your group gets to kind of tell everybody else how to organize. So get in groups of three or four. There's the, the, we, will, we will not have any more than three-quarters introverts in any group. So at least one person has to be an extrovert in each group uh, to set this up for your group. So groups of three or four... Each person takes two or three questions so that the 10 get covered and it's easy peasy, lemon squeezy because all the answers come right from the references, the verse references that you've, we've given you there. So let's go ahead, break up, do that, take 10 minutes and then we'll come back. Okay, so while you are wrapping up, and remember we said get in groups of three or four, each person take two or three questions so that they all get covered. This also is English Bible exegesis. So one aspect is a close reading of the text, the English words themselves, and that has to do with, you know, English grammar and meanings of words and uh, punctuation marks and things like that. And you may say, well, Alan, you know, that's not my forte. I'm not a language person. Well, okay. Uh, be this type of person then. Because another aspect is if all you had was a center column reference Bible, well, start using it. Start using it. And you will discover all sorts of things. You know, people will come up to me all the time and, you know, I just, I don't feel like, God's speaking to me. I don't feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to me through Scripture. Well, start looking up cross-references. And there are tools for that. One is called the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. You can buy it in book form or you can find it online. And it's about 600,000 cross-references and that works out to about 19 cross-references on average for every verse in the Bible. And this is the way that the Holy Spirit interprets the Word of God for you as you read into the passage you're looking at, cross-references from other places, then God is giving you the only infallible interpretation of the Word of God that you can get because it's not up to human opinion. And it's not up to uh, scholars and their scholarly study. It's not up to any of that. It, it is up to a simple common person with a common Bible that can take uh, and, and look up references from other places. And since uh, none of us today takes the time 
to read our Bible through every 30 days. So if you read about two hours a day, you could get through the Bible um, 12 times a year. You get through the Bible every single month. Now, not, not many of us do that. Not many of us are able to do that and you know, can take the time to do that. So what had happened was, there many Christians from the past who culled that type of information and how one piece of knowledge over here coordinates with cross-references to another piece of knowledge over here and, and put it together. And they started doing that actually back in the late 1600s. So once the King James Bible was completed, you had a whole host of reference tools keyed to the King James Bible. So starting in the late 1600s into early 1700s, a, a pastor named John Can um, uh, came, came out with a, uh, printed his own edition of the King James Bible that had all of these cross-references in it. And so they took that, they took obviously the references the King James translators themselves um, originally put into the uh, first editions of the King James Bible, and then they ha- Oxford uh, would, would, you know, put cross and, and Cambridge, and, uh, you know, they would call cross-references from uh, various uh, believers and pastors as they would preach, and they would just put all that together and put it down. And, you know, one day somebody took all of them and swept it up and came up with about more than half a million, closer to 600,000 cross-references on the Bible. And this is the only infallible way to, to interpret the Word of God is to compare Scripture with Scripture 1 Corinthians 2.14, natural man can't can't understand it because what you've got to do is what the spiritual man's got to do is compare spiritual with spiritual. And this is the same thing Isaiah said back in Isaiah 28. And and, uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 12, and you got to, you know, it's line by line, line upon line. Uh, You've got to put principle upon principle. Here a little, there a little is what Isaiah says. So what God has done is he doesn't give it to us uh, systematically, let's say. But what we're able to do, so what he shows us if we're willing to take the time in his words, is he has taken the truth and he's divided it up in different places and we connect all that, then you've got his mind. And so this also is English Bible exegesis. So, um, um, uh, you know, uh, many of your groups are kind of amorphous. I'm not really sure where one group uh, starts and another one ends. So, uh, but let's go through and have just someone answer from one of the groups, from some group, uh, each one of these questions so that uh, in the case it's one of the questions you didn't get down, uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe we can make sure it's covered for everybody. Number one, good understanding will be given to those who do what? Okay, uh, speak in your, in your outside playground voice. Okay, so we got references for you from... 111.10, now that means Psalm 111, I just didn't put the psalm because we're looking in the psalms. So it's Psalm 111.10, Job 28, verse 28, Proverbs 2, verses 3 to 5. Hopefully those are all correct references. I just, I only thought about doing this 
last night. And so that's how I was working on this uh, last night to put this together. Uh, you know what? It's, this is something you could do on your own. You could do for your kids. You could give them assignments. You could make up sheets. You could, you, you know, it's just a way to study the Bible. Um, number two, doing these things will give understanding to what others? Who else gets understanding? What? All nations. All nations. So, you know, that's kind of cool. This isn't, not only is it not just for the scholars, not only is it not just for those who know Greek or Hebrew, whatever good that might be, uh, not just for those who, uh, you know, teach in the seminary. This actually is not even just for the Christian. But when you put these things together, you've got something to share that even, even the lost world is going to be able to get understanding from. Number three, how does this affect kingdom rewards? Okay, so, so all of these questions, these first three are based on verse 34 of Psalm 119. And it's talking about, you know, make me to go in thy paths. If I go in your path, what do I get? Well, part of what I get, Matthew 5.19. How about questions out of verse 35? Number four, how does the author of the previous psalm describe how he wants God to make him follow in this path? Did I give you the correct verse? What does Psalm 118 verse 27 say? Oh, well, there you have it. The author of Psalm 118 so much wants to go in the ways of God, in the pathway of God, he basically says, look, God, consider me the sacrifice. And you know what? If I'm unwilling, tie me down. <laughs> tie me down to the altar. Make me go in your way. Number five, how does God tell Ezekiel that he will make them go in that path? Well, that sounds a lot better to me, actually, than the Psalm 118 one. Although I suppose I could see in the days before anesthesia, that I might need to be tied down as he's giving me a heart transplant. Uh, so that's Ezekiel. Number six, how does God make us go that way in, in his path? Okay, so we got Philippians 2.13, Hebrews 13.21. Number seven, what is that path called in these other various references? So the path that's being talked about here in verse 35 What's it called in Psalm 23, verse 3? Righteous. Path of the righteous. What is so, uh, Proverbs 3, 17? Peace. peace. Path of peace. Now that, see, these things should tell you something. You, you, you automatically know that if, if, you know, very likely if you're involved in conflict, especially if it's for no good biblical reason, you may have missed the path. Uh, Proverbs 4, 11. And then Proverbs 8.20. Okay, so all of those things, this is, that's, all these things are included. So if you miss any of those things, yeah, you kind of missed, somewhere you missed the path. And then out of verse 36, what prayer does David use? So in verse 36, he's talking about, you know, incline my heart. What prayer does he use in order to incline his heart? Okay, so we got the Psalm 51.10, and then what does he say in Psalm 141, verse 4? Okay, so, so number nine, what's the deal with covetousness? Now, as, as I went through here, I, I, I guess I kind of made the questions a little harder 
or a little more complicated going along. So I did list several things for you there, in, including what Paul says in First Timothy 6, and all things that kind of warn us away from covetousness. Um, uh, what sh- then number 10, what should we do with our covetousness and why? Colossians 3, 5. Okay, so we should mortify it. That means put it to death. That means strangle it before it strangles you. And why should we do that? Also Colossians 3, 5. Yeah. What, what else does Colossians 3, 5 say? Or maybe it's not Colossians. I don't have the answers here in front of me. I'm just... Well, so it, one of these references talks about it being idolatry. Was that Colossians 3, 5? Okay. So why do we have to do it? Because if you don't, well, you're an idolater. So how, how can we do this? Hebrews 13, 5. So we can do it because we have Christ. We can be content because we have Christ. We, a Christ can be our contentment. That'll take away the covetousness. So with that exercise completed, my hope is that we completely get finished with this next uh, section here. And uh, so uh, let me direct your attention back to Psalm 119. And we kind of introduced ourselves to this segment and then got through verse 33 last time. Uh, let's, so to refresh our memories, let's just uh, survey what this section shows us by way of the prayers of David's heart. Um, basically, looking, kind of surveying this section, if we divorce this book, the Bible, from its author, God, via the Holy Spirit. So in other words, if we cast away biblical authority, okay, now I know you may think I harp on this all the time, but I I have to point it out to you. Every modern translation I know of is intent on making sure you cast away uh, your grasp of biblical authority. I'm just saying, I mean, you, you can just name one and we could go, we could look it up and look at it, but whether it's the NIV or whether it's the ESV, uh, all of them, when it gets to the last half of Mark 16, they are all going to throw that into doubt. They're all going to question that passage. Most of them are going to just outright say, you know, this doesn't really belong here. This was, the, their phraseology will be that it wasn't in the original or it wasn't in the best manuscripts, or it wasn't in the oldest manuscripts. And they don't just do it at Mark 16. I mean, you're looking up, they do it first half of John chapter 8. Other verses and parts of verses, and as, you know, it seems like we run across this almost every week that we preach, but whenever I run across it, I do point it out to you. So they're almost all intent on making sure you divorce God from the words of God that you have in your lap. I'm just saying that that is the spirit of the age. Uh, that's why, you know, and it fits in so much with our society, doesn't it? There's so many things. I mean, if you stop and think about your kids and what they're exposed to and what they're being taught, uh, there are so many things in our society that don't even make sense. 
And yet it's like there's, there is this quiet conspiracy that says we're going to be silent about the fact it doesn't make sense and let's just do it. And we're just going to do it. We're going to say it's okay, even though nothing about it makes sense. And nobody, nobody points out, you know, this, this really doesn't make sense. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Well, that is the spirit of the age. And the spirit of the age in Christianity, so there's, you know, there are reasons why this is, as the Bible describes it, the Laodicean age, the seventh and last period of church history. There are reasons why we are lukewarm. Primary being that all of the 233 Bible translations since 1881 have in one way or another pried us away from the idea of biblical authority. And, that, and that's a shame. But if that happens, then here's, here's, here's what takes place. It's all right here in a survey of this passage. Our mind will be ignorant, verses 33 and 34. Our feet will be unled, verse 35. Our heart will be unaffected by sin and By righteousness and by God, verse 36, our eyes will be unopened, verse 37, and our emotions will be uninspired. We'll spend our emotions a lot of other places, just not in the right spots. So so your mind, your feet, your heart, your eyes, and your emotions have to be governed by the words of God. But if there's doubt cast upon the words you have, that they're actually the words of God, then... You are ungovernable. So don't, so, so watch what David says. Don't just teach me, verse 33. So that was what we saw last time, verse 33. Don't, but don't just teach me, make me, verse 35. So verse 33, teach me. In other words, make me to see, make me see something. Um, but verse 35, don't just make me to see, make me to go. (laughs) Make me do it. But you know, before you can make me do anything, comes verse 34. You have to give me something. Psalm 119, verse 34. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. So understanding is the Strong's, uh, Strong's uh, number 995. Uh, I, I think last time we just, I just started throwing out to you. Uh, it's another aspect of English Bible exegesis is you're able to take the words in the Strong's concordance, all the English words, and whatever Greek or Hebrew they're translated from, there's a little number that takes you to back to the dictionaries, Greek and Hebrew dictionaries in the back, and And then you can see that the word understanding means mental comprehension. So it's not just the direction of verse 33, it is actually comprehension. So if someone is going to teach you God's word, verse 33, then you need to be able to understand verse 34, And it is in the understanding of it that you will be able to apply it, verse 35, and then come to love it, verse 36. 
So that means this. If you, you know, happen to be taking notes, you might take note of this fact. Spiritual discernment is a spiritual endowment. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, in other words, it's a spiritual endowment. That means you can only get discernment, you can only get discretion from a Holy Ghost walk. It's an endowment of the Holy Ghost. So that explains a whole lot right there. Because what I've discovered is Christians who do not have discernment, Christians who lack judgment, do so because they've not been walking in the Holy Spirit until that point. Now, the, now the good thing about grace is you, you may have been neglecting a walk in the Holy Spirit for a long time. But at the moment you turn back to him and you are desperately dependent on him, he'll give you victory anyway because your spiritual life is just like the book of Judges. I mean, I don't need to, I mean, I don't mean to offend you unnecessarily. I think I mean to offend you necessarily. I, I want to necessarily offend you, not unnecessarily offend you. So that's why I don't, a lot of things I don't care about. But let me just say this, uh, you know, your spiritual walk is a judge's walk. And that is, that is true for most all of us. Most all of us, we got saved. We didn't have any more success, I suppose, than the third generation down after Joshua did, after they got into the land. And where they ended up at was the book of Judges. And for a lot of young believers particularly, you spend a whole lot of time under bondage, 20 years to the Midianites, and 20 years to the Perizzites, and 20 years to the Hivites, and 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 two years to the Shilites, and, and you, you spend all of this time under bondage, but as soon as you turn to the Lord, you know what? He's willing to come back, send a deliverer, and in our case, each one of those judges in the book of Judges uh, really is kind of the picture of the Holy Spirit, and I know that a lot, a lot of people would say, well, it's a picture of Christ. Well, I, you know, and as much as the Trinity is indivisible, you might be able to say that. But I think it's, they're more a picture of the Holy Spirit in the, you know, what he's, in him working with what he's got to work with in the failure of your life. And so you come to, you come to him and he'll, uh, okay, he'll, he will get you out of that bondage. But you know what they discovered and what you will discover after that point, if you do not continue to walk in the Spirit, it. you will lack judgment just as much as you did before you got in the last mess that you were in because spiritual discernment is a spiritual endowment so uh, get uh, get um, psalm 40 and ephesians 6 keep your finger here but psalm 40 and ephesians 6 it is with our senses that we can see the way. It is only by using spiritual senses that you can walk in the way. Okay, so teach me. Well, I can see that. But, you know, make me to understand uh, because, I, I, you know, I need, I need to know how to, how to go and walk in the way. So verse 34, give me understanding. And, and I shall keep thy law, yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Okay, watch Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, verses 5 and 6. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, uh, 
according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. I mean, like, wow, that's crazy. Paul is able to write that to the Christians in Ephesus. They're coming out of such a demonized society. Uh, I mean, and ours is bad, but theirs, theirs, was, theirs was bad, bad. And if we talk about abuse and if we talk about past trauma and we talk about, okay, well, that, that was Ephesus. And yet what Paul says is, oh, here's the way you respond to all that. And this is, you know, actually up ends up being the best thing you can do for your mental health. Because true obedience starts in and comes out of the heart. So he's not saying, you know, that they have authority over you to make you do things that go against God's word or God's law or, uh, or, or immorality or any kind of thing. You know, he's not saying that. But he is saying, okay, you know, you need to view your employer this way. As long as it doesn't get to that point, then view, view your employer this way. View other relationships this way. You know, uh, uh, Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Okay, wait, now hold it. Now there is a colon. So after that colon, it's going to explain to you why it is that David actually delights to do God's will and wants to do it. It is because, yea, thy law is within my heart. So, yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. That means undivided obedience. That means not just half-stepping on God. That means not just giving God the leftovers. And, um, you know, I, I, many, many Christians today, I think, so a lot of Christians we know, a lot of Christians that, uh, maybe our uh, churches uh, more like-minded with us still yet have Christians that have filled minds but half hearts, half-hearted, full-minded Christians, and so half-hearted Christians have filled our churches. Both, both ones that preach the Bible, ones that don't. I was just sitting there, I was just standing there singing. I was thinking as, as, you know, Brian was leading us in that song and has to do with the rapture. And I thought, huh, you know, in, in the four verses that we just sang, there's more sound Bible doctrine than was heard in 80% of the churches in Kansas City this morning. I think so. Surely, 75. I mean, I think, I think, uh, you know, probably the condition of Christianity and Christian churches, so I'm not talking about the cult groups, but the condition of Christianity and Christian churches is kind of like the parable of the sower. So you had seed is sown in four places. Now, one of them is not even a believer because the devil comes, the fowl comes and steals, steals the seed away before it even germinates. So that's 
That's one class of Christian. They're not even born again, but they wear the label. And then, so the other three are saved, but two of the other three, um, it is that it is squashed. There's there's only one fruit bearing Christian. There's only one disciple making Christian. The other two, you know, either it 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 springs up and sun bakes it, or it springs up, you know, because it's choked by the cares of this world. So yeah, you know, I think maybe one out of three to one out of four churches might have had some good content of Bible teaching this morning, and that is just the age in which we live in. So David shows us how to put God's word in front of our feet so that we will not stumble. So part of what... Part of what I said and part of what we saw this morning, I think this is the most valuable part I will miss the most of Sunday nights, is uh, being able to resonate a little bit more with some of the things I said Sunday morning. So Sunday morning, so this morning we saw Peter say that you need to be sober and watch unto prayer. What does that mean? To watch unto prayer. Watching unto prayer is like driving your car or riding, riding your bicycle. If you're riding a bicycle, you don't look at the front wheel. Watching under prayer means you're looking out to see what's going to come up over the horizon so that you are ready to adjust to it uh, in advance to avoid it, to, uh, okay, that's watching unto prayer. It's what my friend Steve Charette, who's also a former pastor and college pastor like me, but was also, he was also a state, Massachusetts state trooper. You know, Massachusetts, every word that ends with an R, you drop the R. And words that don't have an R, you put an R on the end. Have you noticed? I don't know if you know that about Massachusetts, but it's a car. They don't have cars in Massachusetts, they have cars. And it's the lore. It's not the law, it's the lore. His wife's name is Marissa, and there's no R on the end except in his mouth. And and so, he, so being a state trooper, part of what he did was work in the academy in order to train uh, the other uh, people who were becoming troopers how to drive, uh, how to drive their cruiser. And uh, what you have to do if you are going to drive safe, safely is keep a high horizon. You don't look at what is directly in front of you. You keep a high, as high, the faster you go, the higher horizon you have to have. But what happens is the devil likes to put someone or something right in front of our feet. See, I think this is the danger. I think this is why Paul spends so much time telling you not to be a stumbling block to another believer, particularly a younger believer or a one with a weaker conscience, 
Because being a stumbling block, that's dirty work. You are doing the devil's dirtiest work if you're being a stumbling block. Because a believer needs to be watching under prayer and you need to have a high horizon. You need to see, you need to see in advance as soon as you see it overcoming the horizon. You need to be able to know how to react so you can avoid it and, and you take care of it and you need to do that. And if somebody in the meantime puts something right in front of your feet, well, that's dirty. David shows us how to avoid that by making sure we get God's word in front of our feet. So the theme of the next five verses, verse 35 to 39, is make me. God, you make me. Verse 35, make me to go in the path of thy commandments, thy word in front of my feet. For therein do I delight. Make me to go in the path. Make me to go in the path. Now, um, in verse 33, we ran into the word way, W-A-Y, the word way, that's strong number 1870, and it meant a public road constructed by human engineering. Well, that's an easy way to go. But this word, the word path, which is the Hebrew word 5410, is a footpath just for the faithful. It's not a well-worn path. It's the narrow road. And the way of God's statutes, like in verse 33, in a sense, they are open to anybody, even the lost world. You see, this is why the spirit of the age, this is why we're in the condition that we're in, because it used to be that many of the principles of the book of Proverbs Though they didn't use the book of Proverbs, those principles were nevertheless taught in our society. It used to be. I mean, it used to be. I mean, just compare John Wayne movie to uh, anything lately coming out in the Marvel universe. And, and uh, that kind of is like, uh, yeah, I can see that. I mean... Bible principles had permeated our society even without using the Bible, and so that, that was there. And in, in that sense, the, the, that way is open to anybody, and they're benefited by keeping it even if they're lost. But there's also a secret pathway for the saints who are delighting in God's commands. So now that I've locked on to the GPS coordinates for the path, David says, give me power to follow that path because it's not a well-worn path and it's harder to go through it. Why do you have to be made to do even things that you delight to do? Well, because there is a war between the flesh and the spirit. Hello, somebody. They are out for each other. They are out to prevent the success of each other. So sometimes you don't go even though you understand the way to go. But God's dynamite is our delight. So David starts with the mind, verses 33 and 34. Then he goes to the feet here in verse 35. On the way to getting us to the heart, verse 36. There can be no effective going without the knowing, 
and no knowing without the understanding. So the path means literally to tread. It means the trodden way. It means the way you actually walk. Walking in the Spirit, one foot in front of another. So that is why you have to beware of fake pseudoscience or anything that claims recent discoveries related to a spiritual walk or recent discoveries related to a, you know, the most recent Greek text they pulled out of a mummy's nose in Egypt. And I am not making this up. So no, that's not the well-worn path of the pilgrims of the past. This pathway is not drudgery. It is a delight. It takes you by the cliffs overlooking the pounding sea. And now, verse 36, incline my heart to thy testimonies. Since I am walking the cliffs, I don't want to be, I don't want to be leaning the wrong way. I mean, if I'm going up a mountain path, I need my heart inclined in the right direction. So David insists we got to get God's word into our heart. So knowing his own inward waywardness, David prays, incline. Take my heart and incline it. David confessed his weakness Instead of defending his strength, he said, no, my tendency is to lean in the wrong direction. I have a bent. It ain't broken, but I'm badly bent. I'm bent the wrong way. So God bend me back. That word incline, the Hebrew Strong's number is 5186. It's the idea of establishing a habit over time. So it is a predictable pattern even though there's always the threat of the heart still going astray. Because if we are divinely inclined, we will not devilishly decline to, verse 36, covetousness. Incline my heart to thy testimonies, because if I'm divinely inclined... I won't be demonically declined to covetousness. Now that's Strong's number 1215, that word covetousness. Covetousness is, in the Bible, it's presented kind of as the citadel of the vices. Um, That's not necessarily the highest point, but the strongest point, and the one, uh, the, the stronghold, hardest, Uh, hardest to conquer. And you can see how, being the good Romans that we are, this is exactly the Achilles heel in Christianity today. As everything's about, you know, affluence and, and, uh, you know, being influencers. We influence because of our affluence, so we got to be affluent so that we can influence and, and uh, you know, there's, we can have come up with a million reasons why um, to defend our covetousness. And uh, so uh, here in, in the West, 
It has to do with our allegiance to what I call the kingdom of thingdom. We can suffer the loss of anything except our stuff. So verse 36, incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Verse 36 is a prayer for deliverance from covetousness, just like verse 29 was a prayer to be delivered from lying. And here's why Jesus' words to the rich young ruler so apply to us. Because if your heart is wrong, then your head is right in vain. And if your heart is wrong, you know, this is why David's saying here, Teach me, give me, make me, incline my heart. Martin Luther's German translation says, point out to me, explain to me, lead me, and bend me. And that is supremely applicable, I think, to our times because of affluence and because of influence. And, and, and it will be supremely applicable to the tribulation saint who will have to refrain from taking the mark of the beast in order, you know, in order to become part of his metaverse and uh, be able to, you know, eat and drink and be clothed. Matthew 12, did I say turn to Matthew 12? Verse 44, then he saith, I will return into my house from which I came out. And when he, that demon, that devil is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. So when one sin is abandoned, something has to fill that vacuum. And if the vacuum is not filled with the word and the words of God, well, then that devil simply comes back with seven of his good friends. Therefore, verse 29, grant me thy law. And verse 36, incline my heart. Why do we have to be made? Why do we have to be made to go? Like verse 35 says. Well, it's because Paul says we delight in the law after the inward man, Romans 7 verse 22. That means your old man has to be dominated by the new man that you are in Christ. And that is just bottom line. See, that's why, that's why Peter, remember what we saw this morning, Peter didn't just talk about praise. He talks about dominion. Because in order for you to succeed in the Christian life, your new man is going to have to dominate the old man. And that only comes over time. It comes through using the word of God like described here. David says, we need God's word in front of our eyes. Verse 37, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken, quicken thou me in thy way. Now that is a good prayer for anyone with internet and a device. I'm just saying because our outlook determines our outcome, therefore teaching or preaching or counseling 
that does not harmonize with the Bible is just vanity. I mean, it's just vanity. You've simply paid someone. You know, it's kind of like that character on The Office. I forget forget the, the guy's name. But he said, yeah, man, I wish I could be a counselor. Just sit there and say, "Uh uh-huh, 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 pay me $200. And, And that's about the way it is. We pay people to listen to us and to listen to our story because that's how focused we are on us. And they don't have anything good to give, and there's nothing that really solves anything. Whatever they prescribe just seems to mask stuff and, you know, comes with his own set of problems. So David prays. In verse 33, he prays for what he wants to see. Here in verse 37, he prays for what he wants hidden so that he can pay attention. So one key to life and, uh, and I think we have to end with this. But one key to life is to learn to look the other way. And whenever I do premarital counseling for anybody that I'm going to marry, and that's really the only rule I have is, look, you know, if I'm going to do the wedding, we've got to have at least one premarital counseling session. But one of the, one of the things that I usually say in every time I do premarital counseling is that you need to develop one blind eye and one deaf ear. You need to have one blind eye and one deaf ear. Now, not not two blind eyes. You can't turn a blind eye to everything. There's some things you ought to turn a blind eye to. And I'm just saying, if you want a happy marriage, you know, probably one deaf ear. Not, Not two. You can't... Some things you need to hear. You need to acknowledge were said and deal with those. But... Peter says, and he told us even this morning, that charity covers a multitude of sins. So there's a lot of things you can just turn a deaf ear to. John chapter 8, in that passage that every other version throws into doubt, Jesus looked at the ground, then he looked at the Pharisees, and it was only after they left that he looked at the adulteress and only then did he look on her with compassion and forgiveness, nothing else. No judgment. It's just like, hey, you know, who's, who, who was it that was accusing you? <laughs> I mean, it's not lack of evidence. It's lack of prosecution. Nobody's, nobody's here prosecuting you. Well, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Abraham looked for a heavenly city at the same moment he was looking down at Sodom. So this verse tells us about the distraction to the direction in this age, and that distraction is labeled, in verse 37, vanity. That's Strong's number 7723, and the word vanity means valueless. You get no value out of that time wasted and time spent. But the Lord gives life to all of those who walk in his way. Okay, well, 
Now you'll have reason to return with us this fall because we've got three verses to go. And I know some of you type A people are you know, going to be like, well, I, just let me know the date. I'm going to be there. I got to get this. I got to get this completed. So uh, go ahead and uh, stand, bump elbows with your neighbor. Father, we thank you tonight for how the way that your word of God has directed us even throughout this entire day. Lord, we see Peter taking us from, you know, the fact that we need to be sober, sober-minded. Golly, how, how many of us have our emotions out of control, have to deal with people whose emotions are out of control, and it's our emotions, our lusts, and other things get us in trouble. Lord, we need to be sober. We need to watch unto prayer because it's, it's not always a thing right in front of us that is our problem. We need to be prayed ahead and prayed up enough that we are looking up to what's, what may come at us so that we can avoid in advance all the heartache that comes from going in the wrong path and ending up in the wrong way. And so God, tonight we praise you and we praise you also not forgetting your dominion. I mean, it is to, to the praise of your glory, the manifold grace that you've given us, but it's given because you want to have dominion in our life. Because as we show the lost world the subjection we have to you and the obedience, the love we have to you and the way that works out in our life, boy, that's what they need. And it just rings a bell of truth in an age where so many of the things that we do and we believe and we say are just so crazy. So God, help us take your truth, which is the only truth there is, the only definer of truth that exists. And Jesus, who is the truth on the inside of us, and Lord, let us put those two things together to make our pathway safe, And deliver us, Lord, from the vanity that takes time away from the most important thing in life. And then also, Lord, be able to get the gospel to those who are lost. Lord, help us do that even as we look to you. As as our kids have looked to you even tonight also through your word. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.